Isaiah chapter 30, and we're going to look at verses 8 to 18. I'm going to read all of it uh, this morning. I'd like to ask that you pray for our, our, our live stream services at 10. It'll be li- the 10 o'clock service will be live stream as well. And then tonight, we have a singspiration time right after the evening service. If you have a favorite hymn, you haven't sent us uh, a message like that about that hymn you'd like to sing, send us a message. I'm not going to promise we're going to choose all of them, but we're praying over several hymns that have been sent to us, some that I've selected and Brother Levon has selected. But uh, we just, I, I just kind of feel like we just at home and at church, we just need to get back to singing a little bit there as part of our worship of the Lord. So you join us for that tonight after the evening service there. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, share your Bible with them tonight, this morning. Listen as I read the scriptures this morning. Now go, write it before them in a table, note it in a book, that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay thereupon, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant, and shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it a sherd to take fire from the hearth or to take water without out of the pit. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest ye shall be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and ye would not. But ye said, No, for we will flee upon horses, therefore shall ye flee, And we will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, at the rebuke of five shall ye flee, till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain, and as an ensign on a hill. And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you, for the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Verse 18 and verse 15. The Lord gives me enough time this morning. It's so meaty and is so needed right this hour. We have a song we sing in our hymn, hymn book, our hymn, old hymn of the faith entitled, Only Trust Him. This chapter is about trusting God, chapters 30 and 31. But notice verse 18, and I'm going to weave this into it. Isaiah said, and therefore will the Lord wait. You ever think about the fact God is waiting for us? We may not be moving according to his timetable, but he's still waiting for us. We are sometimes not on the same page with God, but he's waiting for us. And I don't know what's happening in your personal life, 
I don't know exactly what's going on in your family. And while you're waiting on God, he's waiting on you. I want to preach this morning just on the thought of Jesus is waiting. He's waiting for you and I to come to that place in life where we have unreserved, uninhibited, complete and total trust in him. Now, it's easy to say it. It's another thing to live it. And we'll see this morning what God has in mind to it. Father, bless your word now. We're on a limited time frame. Help me, Lord, to feed the flock which is among us. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, that as the chief shepherd and bishop of every soul here, that, God, you'd meet with us. And once again, lead us beside the green pastures. Make us to lie down those green pastures. Lead us beside the still waters. Restore our souls. Save souls today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you might remember the name of a man by the name of Bernie Madoff. In 2008, Bernie Madoff was convicted of the largest, the largest, the most expensive financial fraudulent scheme that ever occurred. Bernie Madoff started a penny brokerage firm that led into an investment firm that over time boasted of 4,800 clients, if you could imagine that. And at the time that the Securities Exchange Commission and the FBI shut down his operation, they estimated $65 billion was at risk due to fraud. He connived a Ponzi scheme that went for 50 years. Among many of the people that he had as his clientele was a who's who. He had a part owner of the Philadelphia Eagles that was part of his clientele. Uh, Steven Spielberg was one of his, one of his clients. Uh, one of the founders of Bed Bath & Beyond, which probably is going to file bankruptcy if they haven't already at that time, was one of his. I mean, the, the names were who's who. The richest woman in Spain was one of his investors. I mean, it's incredible. All of these people heard about this man's investment returns, spoke with him, had even their advisors, leading, uh, leading CPA firms and law firms speak with them. All of them came to the conclusion that Bernie Madoff had a trusted op operation. He was a man that could be trusted with all of your finances, only to find out that the man could not be trusted. My question to you this morning is, who do you trust? Why do you trust them? Do you really believe what your employer tells you? Do you really believe what that career track that we all get on is really telling you? Do you really believe everything the media tells you, whether on the conservative extreme or the liberal extreme? Who do you trust? Do you trust in God? I mean, do you really trust in God? I mean, does he have your complete trust in every facet of your life? We use that old, that old illustration, you know, trusting God is taking a piece of paper, a blank piece of paper, signing your name at the bottom and letting God fill the rest. And we believe that. 
And we've all used that as an illustration. But do you really, really believe and practice that? I want you to notice in Isaiah chapter 30, God is continuing his series of woes against Israel, specifically actually Judah and Jerusalem. The time of this writing of 30 and 31, they're within three years or less of Israel being overtaken by the Assyrians. And in these chapters, in the previous chapter we've read, God has called out a number of sins and errors in the life of Judah and Jerusalem. The kingdom was transitioning from King Ahaz. Now, as we get to chapter 30, it's King Hezekiah. God's called out their sin of pride. God's called out their sin of drunkenness. God's called out their sin of worship with no heart, no devotion in it. God has called off their mouth religion, their lip service. I mean, it sounds like modern-day Christianity, right? Uh, God has called out, of course, the sin of worshiping idols, which Judah was just as guilty as Israel. And in chapter 30, 31, perhaps the greatest area that we, we don't call attention to, but I would dare say for all of us, we're probably very, very weak in, and we probably have to admit before God and confess before God we, we just are very poor practitioners. And he calls out their sin of not trusting God. And specifically, notice verse 1, as he gives these series of woes, he calls out their sin of trusting, chapter 30, verse 1 and 31, verse 1, their sin of trusting in Egypt for their safety and for their help. I want you to notice, number one, that God makes a heavy protest against Judah and Jerusalem. The background to this can be found in 2 Kings chapter 18. I'm not going to have you read it because of time. In 2 Kings 18, you want to read this when you read these chapters in verses 9 to 21. It tells us specifically, gives us insight about Judah's allegiance and their trust in Egypt. At that time, Hezekiah was in the fourth year of his reign. Assyria came up under King Sargon. This is before Sennacherib came. And under King Sargon of Assyria, he besieged Samaria and Israel, and he conquered them. King Hosea was the king. Three years later, Samaria was completely conquered, and whatever inhabitants were left in the city were carried away captive to Assyria. Now, that's the seventh year of King Hezekiah's reign. King Hezekiah, when we get to him, he was a good king. I mean, for the most part, first 14 years of his reign, he was a really good king. I mean, you, you can't help but uh, want to just claim him as a Bible hero because he did some monumental things. I mean, he really he, he restored order, and he brought revival back to Judah. And in the seventh year, we find him watching all this unfold with the sister nation of Israel. Five years later now, it's the ninth year of his reign, Israel is completely taken away, and in the ninth year of Hezekiah's reign, Assyria now encircles around Ju Jerusalem. And in verse 21 of that chapter, Sennacherib makes his statement to Hezekiah and to his, and to his ambassadors, to his, his leaders. He says, now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of this bruised reed, even upon Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. 
so is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, unto all that trusted him. God gave us insight there in 2 Kings 18 that Hezekiah, in the middle of all this stuff going on, was not praying and asking God for help. And God alludes to that in chapter 30. Instead of turning to God and saying, God, we've got this world power that wants to attack us, and they've been conquering nation after nation after nation. And conquering meant that their people would be brought into bondage, their land would be taken, their riches would be confiscated, their farmlands would be taken. I mean, it was just a total mess, if you can imagine that. And instead of turning to God, they put on their military cap, and they put on their strategic planning cap, and all of those things that we would typically do when we're under, when we're under stress and danger. And they went out and said, well, I guess we should go down to Egypt, and, uh, and we need to go to talk to the king of Egypt and strike a deal with them and see if they can come alongside and help us. Now, militarily and uh, humanly speaking, that sounded like probably a good thing. You know, you have manpower. You have more manpower. You have more army power, more military power to come alongside of you. You want a, an alliance there. You know, it's kind of like the whole idea behind the United Nations. The United Nations came together at the end of World War II because you wanted to combine the world powers together and, 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 and finding, you know, hostile situations. But God was protesting him. Notice in verse 1, he says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel but not of me, and that cover with the covering but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. You know, God protested, verses 1 and 3, God protested their decisions. God was making a complaint, a protest against Judah and Jerusalem because they made a decision. You know, when you decide not to trust in God, you have said to God, I don't think I can trust you. Look at verse 1 of chapter 31. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and am horsemen because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 30, chapter 30, verse 1, they sought counsel from Egypt. In chapter 30, verse 2, they decided that they, it was better for them to trust in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt than to trust in the Lord. Notice what God said in verse 2. They that go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth. I mean, God was very not, not holding anything back. He said, basically, you went down to Egypt. You've not once asked me for help. You've not once prayed about your decision. You've not once said, God, what do you want me to do? You've not once waited on God. You didn't ask God, what do you want to do? You know, we're like that. We're faced with a lot of decisions we have to make in life. And we tend to to kind of lean on the pragmatic side of things. And the pragmatic side of things is then we think, we think well, it just seems practical, makes sense, that's probably what I should do. And we have to think through a day, how many decisions do we make during a day that we leave God out of the decision? COVID-19 has all of us paralyzed. You don't get the calls, but I get the calls. I'm weeping on the phone with those who are going to the doctor, and they tell us they're, they're, they're diagnosed positive and things of that nature in and out of the church. They wake up with fevers and say, Pastor, pray for us. I'm not sure if I got COVID-19. I'm going to go out for testing today. And we're so paralyzed by all the rules and the Centers for Disease Control and the Alameda County Public Health Department. I mean, I'm, I'm just as guilty, if not more so. We're so paralyzed by all the rules and the safety and all those things we have to follow. We do all these things without realizing, are we doing some of these things even to the place we're leaving God out of the picture? And fear, man, bringeth a snare. Fear bringeth torment. 
Israel was at, Judah was at the place they preferred to trust in horses and chariots of Egypt more than the strong arm of the Lord. And just like us, they made a worried decision. Anxiety. Have I polled everybody in this room? All of you. Maybe some more, maybe some less. Have a little bit of a fear, concern of someone coming into your space or someone that you don't even know about. They may be asymptomatic that would pass on the COVID-19 virus. And God forbid that happened. I was telling the staff the other day, I just we having a staff meeting. I said, you know, God forbid. I said, guys, you've got to stay safe, and I've got to stay safe. I said, the last thing to happen is for any of us to get it. I said, that would just affect the church in a really bad way. We don't want that to happen. At the same time, we've got to realize that the church is still God's work, and the church must go on, and the church must glorify God. And, and just because, you know, the government may shut down, shut down churches, you know, churches still need to go on because we must obey God rather than man. And God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And we have to understand that, that the worship of God, listen, throughout the ages, the church has always had some dynamics, something going on that's always affected their form of worship. But I remind you, God's people still worship him. God processes their decision. Notice God, in his protest, gave a description. Is trusting God wrong? I mean, not trusting God wrong? Is not trusting God okay? Does God even care we don't trust in him? Is God hurt when we don't trust him? Does God care if we don't exercise faith? I mean, does he really care? We make all these secular decisions. We've got, a, we've, got a, we've got a college track and a high school track and a career track. And after we get through our career track, we get through our midlife track. And we get through our retirement track. And we listen to what this guru says and this guru says and this person says. We're on all these different tracks. Does God really care if we don't trust him? Does it really matter? Is it, just so, is it okay if I just trust God when I come to church? Well, notice what he says here. He says in verse 1, what are the rebellious children? The word rebellious is a very interesting word. It means an untamed cow. She's stubborn, even backslider. Notice she said, they that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit. The word cover with a covering is not something we typically find, but he mentions it again in verse 22. He's talking about the fact that they were also putting their trust in idols. The cover with covering had the, had the idea, symbolically, of the pouring out of a drink offering. Pouring out your offering before an idol and saying, I trust as I pour this out. I'm trusting my life with you. And God was saying this, you know, you cover the covering. You've poured out your drink offerings to your, the idols that you worship. But he says, you don't trust in my spirit. And would you notice the end of verse 1, he says, they may have sin. Their sin, is it, is it wrong? God, without any reservation, tells us they were adding to their sins of idolatry, their sin of unbelief in God. Is it wrong? Trusting in Egypt for your help is a sin. Egypt is a picture of the world system. Tonight, as I describe Mystery Babylon, I'm explaining to you this evening that Mystery Babylon is a term that God uses to describe in chapter 17, Revelation, the entire world system. The religious system, all the religious and philosophical agendas of this world will be amalgamated under one umbrella to worship the beast, if you can imagine that. They pledge your trust in the Antichrist. It got so bad, notice verse 10 and 11, they were so distrusting of God. 
verses 10 and 11, they finally told the prophets and the preachers like Isaiah and Malachi, who were prophets to Judah at that time. Not Malachi, excuse me, uh, Micah. They said, change your message. They said, uh, verse 10, uh, don't prophesy to us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy. Hey, you got to place in verse 11. You know what they were telling in verse 11? They're saying, tell God, stop telling us what to do. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, rebellion. Stop telling God. Tell God to stop telling us what to do. Have you ever done that? You ever have a teenager tell you that? You ever have an adult tell you that? Stop, tell God to stop telling me what to do. I'm, telling, I'm tired of God running my life. And God said this. God said in uh, verse 12, You despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay thereon. He said they'd rather choose to be oppressed by Egypt and to go back in slavery. Now, why did he say that? Well, remember the history of Israel. Israel spent 400 plus years in the shadow of Egypt, in bondage, making bricks, building the pyramids. Their baby boys were thrown into the, into the Nile River and sacrificed to the God of the Nile River. They were slaves, so we got to chapter 2. Then in chapter 2, the Bible says they sighed with great reasoning of their bondage. And they cried out in unison as a body. They said, God, we need your help. The Bible says God remembered them. And God heard them. And God delivered them. And he's delivered them with a great deliverance. You go to chapter, chapter 12, we find that the last of the plagues was the Passover, Passover plague. And it set the precedent for the offering and shedding of blood of an innocent lamb for, for all the nation. And from there, God took them to the Red Sea. And there was a thin layer between the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. There was a thin layer between that that separate the people of God from the Egyptian army. And listen, that our, the enemy might be breathing down your neck, but as long as God is with you, the enemy is not going to bother you. God opened that Red Sea, and you find the miracle of the Red Sea incident repeated over and over and over again in the Old and New Testament. And whenever you find a New Testament preacher preaching about the, the acts of Moses, they have to refer to the Red Sea incident. In fact, our next, the next uh, message I'll be bringing, 1 Corinthians 10, and it kind of alludes to that in the first two, three verses there and, and, uh, on Wednesday nights. And, and, and he talks about the Red Sea incident because it's a reminder of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says the people walked through there on dry land. They were delivered with a great deliverance, and God led them through the wilderness, and God sustained them in the 40 years in the wilderness, and God gave them their promised land, and God gave them their land. I mean, God gave them everything they wanted. And then you go over to the book of Deuteronomy, and we get those wonderful chapters in chapters uh, 10, 11, and 12, where God tells them to love him, and he'll take care of them, and he'll bless them. He says, keep your heart focused on me, and don't turn to idols and all these other things. Keep your trust in me. And he says, I'll bring you, I'll bring you very timely your rain for your season, and your vineyards will be, will be, will be uh, abundant. And your, and your crops will be abundant, and you'll never lack for anything because I'll take care of all your needs. Here's a people that God said he'd take care of them. And now they're at this place, and many years later, they're not trusting God. Whenever you look at Egypt, it's a picture of bondage and slavery and deception. Are we trusting in Egypt for our success? I'm not telling you not to plan. I'm not telling you to throw your plans in the fire. 
But we do need to think about a little bit. When's the last time you read the fine print and all those things that the world tells you? Would you trust God for every area of your life? Do you trust him when disease comes? Do you trust him when financial failure comes? Do you trust him in sorrow? Do you trust him in good times? You see the heavy protest quickly. Would you notice the hazardous perils? Notice God tells him the perils of trusting in Egypt. He answers the question, what's wrong with trusting in the world? Well, number one, there's the disappointments. Notice what he says in verse 3. The world's going to disappoint you. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. Two words he describes that will greatly disappoint. We'll feel ashamed and we'll sense confusion. The confusion is, why did I do this? He said in verse 5, they were our people that could not profit them. He says, they could not profit them, nor be a help, nor profit, but a shame and also reproach. And then he describes in verse 6 what they did. They went ahead and they, 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 they took all these camels and beasts of burden, and they laded them up with, with treasures and things because they decided, you know, we're going to go down to Egypt and we're going to hire them. So if we're going to hire them, we might as well just pay them off at that time. And notice what he says here. They made this perilous journey all the way down through a dangerous territory uh, of, of among dangerous animals to get to Egypt. He says, the burden of the beasts of the south into the land of trouble and anguish. That's how God describes the world. A land of trouble and anguish. And he says, from whence came the young and old lion, the viper and fly, fiery flapping serpent, that they will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that will not profit them. He would say, you didn't ask me for any counsel, but here's what you did. You put all your money there to basically pay your consulting fee over to Egypt. You took the peril of going through the land of young and old lions and where there's venomous serpents. You went through all of those dangers to go down there. Only you're going to find out is you, came, you gave all that money to them and you trust them with your secrets and you trust them with your money and you're going to find out they're going to fail you. They cannot profit you. He said the Egyptians in verse 7 shall help in vain. And then he makes a statement, notice verse 7, for the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose therefore have I cried concerning them. Now God says, listen, I've cried out to you over and over and over again. Don't put your trust in Egypt. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. But then he makes a statement that you have to study a little bit here. Notice this last sentence in verse 7. Would you notice this? Their strength is to sit still. Now the word strength probably, uh, the King James translators wanted to choose a word they felt would identify with Egypt. The literal Hebrew word is a name of a mythical dragon that the Egyptians worshipped on the Nile River. Every culture has a dragon. Dragon is associated with the devil. And this mythical dragon, you read about it in Psalms, and again in another time in Isaiah. The name of this mythical dragon is Rahab, Rahab, like Rahab the harlot. It's called Rahab. And literally, in the Hebrew, it would say this, their Rahab 
does nothing. He was saying, just like that mythical dragon that's down there in the Nile River that does nothing, that's hard, that will do no harm, it will do no good. He said, that's what Egypt's going to do. You're going to give all your money to Egypt. You're going to give all your time to Egypt. You're going to trust them. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to do you nothing. Those who are a little bit older, we know people that have given their lives to corporations, thinking the corporation would take care of them, only be greatly disappointed later on when they were let go because they were too old. But that's not what they told me. Or their skill sets were not complete enough. A people that trusted them or trusted your institution of learning that they were telling you the right thing only to realize, did they really tell me the right thing? The disappointment. Notice the peril of their downfall. He said, woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. You're in trouble. Hey, brother, sister, Christ, I'll tell you this. And, and again, it's too personal. I couldn't share some things. But, boy, I've learned the hard way. I've learned the hard way so many times. When you bypass God, when you trust yourself, or you believe that statement that the world says, God helps those who helps themselves, which is not in the Bible. Or someone will tell you, you better take care of yourself because God ain't going to take care of you. Really? And church is kind of one of those events we add on to everything else we're doing because everything else is more important, higher priority. And God makes very clear to us in chapter 30, there's a downfall when we trust Egypt more than we trust in God. Look at something else. He's, look at verse 13. Excuse, yeah, verse 13. He says, therefore, again, he calls it a sin. This iniquity, staying, staying on thereon. That means putting all your trust in Egypt. And God is speaking his holiness to them, if you would, in verse 12. He said, therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. Now, you've probably read that term, sudden destruction. The Bible uses, I think, it, I think it's in uh, Proverbs 29.1, it talks about sudden destruction. He's talking about sudden destruction. And he gives an analogy that everybody could understand because of how they constructed things in those days. He said, trusting in Egypt is like a wall that's been built. And you see a crack or a breach in this wall. But this crack or breach is spreading very fast. It's moving quickly. You know it's not a slow progressive advancement it is a quick advancement and he says here in verse 13 it is spreading so quickly he describes it as as a swelling out in a high wall in other words it's spread to the place the wall is going to break up and it's going to fall down you don't have to apply any more pressure it was not built solidly and so because it was not built solidly the whole wall is now is this the whole the whole everything about it is compromised it's about to crack and fall down it's going to happen suddenly and if you sit beneath that wall it's going to fall down on top of you and he says it's so bad it's kind of like pottery that's broken that uh, that sometimes when pottery's broken at least you can take a shard 
and you know we read about that with with Job. He took a shard of a broken pottery and he scraped off the he scraped off the boils that was on his skin. He said it's going to be the break that the breakup of that wall is so bad. He says it's going to be powdered. It's going to be powdered up. It's going to be uh, it's going to be unrepairable. There are no shards you can pick up. They're broken in millions of pieces. He says it's just broken up. And you know what God's saying? God is saying that that high wall we build up when we trust in the world for all of our needs. We believe the world will take better care of us than God when we trust in the world. Everything it'll be like a breach in the wall. There'll be sudden destruction. The wall will come tumbling down. It'll break down. It'll fall right before us, and there's nothing to pick up and gather back up. And he's saying there, there's a great disappointment, there's a great downfall when we trust in the world. On July 17, 1981, the Hyde Regency, Kansas City, there were two walkways they had that were suspended above the ground floor. When it was built, they had checked it out, and the seismic engineers and everybody, the foundation engineers, everybody looked at it and said it's sound. But something happened that day. Those, if you remember the news back in that day, the, those two walkways, they somehow they both fell at the same time. And there was a party going on on the floor. They called it a tea dance that was going on at that time. And it fell on top of all those people. It was sudden destruction. And the carnage it left behind was 114 dead, 216 seriously injured. Sudden destruction. You see, when we got saved, when you got saved and I got saved, why don't you listen to me for a moment? You were told and you were convicted by the Holy Spirit. It was important to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Not partial faith, but your whole heart. You believe that. The lady that wrote us on Thursday, the brother Justin read the message first and sent it to me. It said, she said, I want Pastor Fong to know that I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior today. But it doesn't stop there. That's the starting point, brother and sister in Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is not a one-way, not, not just a one-way ticket to heaven, and it's not a fire escape to heaven. Listen, our faith journey begins with the moment we get saved. The faith journey doesn't stop there. The faith journey starts there. We put our faith and trust in Jesus to get saved. And listen, from there, we walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, very familiar passage of Scripture. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. How many of us could quote that, those verses and we know it by heart. We learned it as children. We learned it as new Christians. We learned it as adults. But how many of us can say we really live it out? Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. And lean not. Don't depend upon, don't even think about your own understanding. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and not the circumstances. Depart from evil. Jeremiah had something to say about that at a time when Jerusalem was on, the, on, on, a, on, a, on a trajectory to be overcome by Babylon. And Jeremiah said in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 17, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaves shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. I love that passage of Scripture. I love the promise that is given to us about trusting the Lord. Listen, if we're having trouble in our life, a lot of our trouble can be traced to one thing. We haven't gotten past the place where we've learned to trust the Lord for everything in our life. 
You could even be in the ministry and not trust the Lord completely. You could be doing things routinely and not trust the Lord completely. You could have been someone when you had nothing you trusted God, but as accumulations came and assets came and you started to have possession, it became more difficult to trust in God because you learned to be more comfortable and trust yourself. Listen, trust in God is realizing we cannot be comfortable in our, we, can't get, we need to get out of the comfort zone of life and we need to realize God puts us in these uncomfortable positions to teach us constantly, continually to trust in him at all times. Spurgeon said this, trust in God alone. Lean not on the needs of human help. Be not surprised when friends fail you. It is a failing world. Never reckon upon immutability in man. Inconstancy you may reckon upon without fear of disappointment. Hazardous perils. But God's got to work for us. Notice as we, we continue, notice we see the holy priority. The holy priority, very simply, as we read these verses, verses 15 to 18, the holy priority this morning is that we trust God completely. You know what it is? It's our theme this year, only God. Only God in our decisions. Only God in my career. Only God in my faith. Only God in my prayers. Only God in my decisions. Only God in my finances. Only God in my disappointments. Only God when I'm discouraged. Only God when I'm depressed. Only God when something, when I feel like the life is taken out of me. Only God. God was telling them no more mouth religion. No more, only God. No more worship of false gods. Only God. No more trusting in horses and chariots. Only God. He said no more trusting in Egypt. Only God. Listen to what he said in Psalms 20 verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Hey listen, many, many, many of our people, if you look at our prayer list, there are a lot of our people going through health trials. Three of our missionaries have children that are going through terrible health trials. One's got a teenage girl with failing kidneys. One has a, a son that was bitten by a dog and he got cellulitis and all kinds of infections. Praise God that over, over 40 a period of time, as he sent a letter out to all the church, we didn't even have time to tell everybody about that Wednesday night. As the letter went out, many of us went to prayer for it. And we got a letter from Brother Lola yesterday from Ra, uh, our, our missionary down in the Bahamas that his son's arm is healed and he's back home. We have, we have these missionaries chilling with so many different trials. Another one is at 16, 70 years of age, she's got rheumatoid arthritis. I'm going to tell you this morning, as much as we trust the doctors, and we should, medical science, and we should, it has its limitations. There comes a time you've got to realize they're going to hit their limitations. You've got to trust in God, only God. No more trusting that the college you attend is the key to success, only God. No more trusting that an investment or banking name will lead you to be successful. Well, I bank with so-and-so and I bet so that's great, but only God. No more trusting that the name of prestigious hospital or physician is going to lead to good health, only God. No more trusting the strength of Egypt, only God. Notice quickly the priority, notice verse 15. First of all, hear the voice of God. He said in verse 15, for thus saith the Lord God. Now, here's our point. Do you hear God speaking to you? Do you trust me? Do you trust me completely? Do I have your trust? Do you believe in me? If you trust me to save you, do you trust me to sustain you? For thus saith the Lord God. Notice how he describes himself, the Holy One of Israel. Why can we trust him? Because he's holy. And because he's holy, he's glorious. And because he's holy, he's perfect. 
And because he's holy, God never fails. And because he's holy, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Because he's holy, he's almighty. Because he's holy, he's your shield and your exceeding great reward. Because he's holy, he's the Lord God Almighty. Because he's holy, he's mortal, invisible, the only wise God. Notice verse 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. Number one, hear the voice of God. Number two, notice verse 15. Return and rest. Now there was a time God was saying to Judah, there was a time you did trust me. But as your riches increased, as you got wiser and you had more military strength, and when you came from being the scourge of all the neighboring nations, to becoming the mighty nation, your values shifted. And he said in verse 15, here, here's, here's what you need to do. In returning, God calls us to go back to a life of trusting, dependence. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 8. Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. He says, return, and then he said, rest. And the word rest identifies with the word confidence in the same verse. Rest means just wait on the Lord. Rest. Chill out. Stop being anxious and worried. Trust in God. Return now, he said. Return in faith. Give the matter to God in prayer. Notice what his promise is in verse 19. For the people that dwell, that shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem, thou shalt weep no more. Listen, he will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer. Hey, if there's ever a word of encouragement for you and I to pray, it's right there. You give your matter to God, you trust in him, you pray to him, he answers you. Return and rest. Notice. Thirdly, look at, verse, look at verse 18. As we rest, we wait on the Lord. The last part of verse 18, blessed are all they that wait for him. You see, the priority tells us we need to return, hear the voice of God. We need to get back to a place of trusting and faith because without faith it's impossible to please him. We need to get back to a place where we, we trust him, we rest in him. Rest means, you know what, stop all the activity. Stop all the thinking through of it. Stop trying to find a plan B. Realize plan A is the only plan. It's plan trusting God. Rest on him. Wait on him. Depend on him. You know what God? God's going to show you and God's going to reveal you what to do. Hey, we saw earlier in one of our, one of our studies, he, we, the Bible says, I will trust and not be afraid. And when we do all that as we close, notice there's a happy product. Go back to verse 18. He says, hear my voice. He says, return and rest. He says, wait on me. And verse 18 is so good. Therefore, because he said all that before we get to verse 18, that's why it's therefore, amen. Therefore will the Lord wait. Now here's the good part of this. God's going to wait for you and I to catch up with him. 
God's waiting for you and I to return and to rest and to have quietness and confidence. You know what quietness and confidence is? Quietness means to know, be still, and know that he's God. Quietness and when you can hear a pin drop. Be still. Be still. Be quiet. And know that I am God. You know, it's just like, it's like Elijah. Elijah didn't know the presence of God till he was quiet and he was still. And he heard the still, small voice of God. And he says, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Listen, the two go together. When we know he's God and we believe that he is, as Hebrews eleven six 6 says. And uh, the Bible says, confidence, which is another word for trust. In quietness and complete trust or confidence, he says that's our strength. Hey, our strength is not our portfolio, and our strength is not our gains, and our strength is not the advice the pastor gives you, and the, advice, the strength is not well, all these other things we look to. Our strength is when we know he's God, and we trust in him, and we know he's got the answer, and we know that the answer's on the way, and he answers our prayer, and he's almighty and great. The strength that we have is knowing God is our strength and not ourselves alone. And so we see, number one, the Lord's patient. He's waiting. He's waiting in verse 18. Therefore will the Lord wait. He's waiting for you to come around and trust in him. He's waiting for you. He's been waiting a long time. But he's telling you, listen, I realize you need some time. And I realize you don't have it all together. And I realize you've got some fears. And I realize maybe you've got some past things that have happened in your life that are holding you back. But he says, the Lord is still waiting. And I'm going to tell you this morning, God is waiting for us as God's people to trust him completely. Could you imagine what God could do through a church where everybody has complete faith and trust and the great things of God? We could step out and do greater things for God if we could just have faith in him. But I want to tell you this, God is is waiting for every sinner who's not saved to come to him right now and get saved. Number one, the Lord's patience. Number two, notice the Lord's pity. He said in verse 18, the Lord, therefore the Lord will, uh, will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you and that he may have mercy upon you. Boy, you talk about verse 18, God loving you and I in spite of the woe in verse 1. He's waiting for us to trust him. He's waiting for us to exercise quietness and confidence that through this, he can be gracious to us. He can show himself strong. He can demonstrate he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. You know, we have so many quirks and so many fears and so many concerns. And he's saying, listen, let the Lord be gracious to you. Let him show his mercy upon you. Let him show his pity upon you and I. His mercies for you and I. The Lord's patience, the Lord's pity. But notice the Lord's praise. <laughs> Why do, we, why do we need to trust God? Well, look at verse 18 again. Therefore will he be exalted. God is to be praised as we exercise faith and trust him. You've got to go through Hebrews 11 once again. And read about those men and women of faith as they trusted God and had faith in him. They came out of the fire. They crossed Red Sea. They overcame governments. Out of weakness were made strong. God used to praise. When Israel crossed the Red Sea, the very next thing Moses led them to do in Exodus 15 was he led them in a song of praise. You know what's great about exercising faith? We're so elated in what God's done, we can't help but praise him. For some here today, you may, it may have taken you great trust and faith in a COVID-19 area to come to church with a mask on, hoping that you don't get anything. I want to I commend you today for having enough faith to believe God. But you know what? God's going to get the praise. God's going to get the praise. The Lord's patience, the Lord's pity, the Lord's praise. But notice, if you would, the Lord's perfection. Look again at verse 18. 
Blessed are all they that wait for him. God is saying, as we sit still, the hardest part about faith is waiting. Hardest part of a health trial is waiting. Hardest part about being unemployed, having a lot of interviews, is the waiting. The hardest part of sitting in the waiting room as a loved one's going through surgery or treatments is the waiting. It's the waiting. But he says, blessed are they that wait on him. God's not in a hurry. God's not going to rush the process. God wants you and I to know that he's got in quietness and in confidence he'll be your friend. Moody said this. Trust in yourself, and you are doomed to disappointment. Trust in money, and you may have it taken from you. But trust in God, and you're never to be confounded in time or eternity. And you know what? He spoke that as a man for over 40 years of his ministry and life, trusting in God. Would you trust God with everything, with your fears, your anxieties, your worries? Your aging, your health, your family, your status, your money, your depression, your concerns, your friendships, your uncertainties. Can you trust Him? Do you believe as the creator of all the universe, He can be trusted? In quietness and confidence, He'll be your strength. He said in verse 18, therefore, where the Lord waits, Jesus is tenderly waiting for you and I. He's waiting for us to come around and say, Lord, I do trust you. Lord, forgive me for not putting it all on the line and all on the table. I trust you. And then this morning, if you're here today, you're not 100% sure you're saved. The starting point for getting saved and knowing for sure you're going to heaven is trusting in the Lord.